Welcome to the World Football Summit podcast, the show for football industry leaders who want to stay ahead of the game. We bring you the latest insights, trends, and stories from the experts driving innovation and progress in sports business worldwide. Join us as we dive deep into the ideas and initiatives transforming the world of football. From sustainability and innovation to player development, fan engagement, and everything in between. Our goal is to unite the global football industry and drive positive change and progress. Welcome to another episode of the World Football Summit podcast. I'm your host, Jaime, CMO at World Football Summit. This week, two amazing guests join us on the show as we speak to Natalie Bowles, Member Services Manager at the League Managers Association, and Christian Dobre, Deputy CEO at the Football Business Academy. This is a conversation about developing a career in the sports industry, about leadership, about how to stay on top of current trends, about the value of having a good education. So if you're an up-and-coming professional, this is a conversation for you. And you know it, Juan Maldet, which is 100% premium Colombian coffee, did not miss this one. Now, I must admit, I'm very picky when it comes to coffee. I must say, Juan Maldet definitely hits the bar. But this cup of coffee is much more than that. It is a premium blend developed by female coffee makers, and Juan Maldet has this program in which they look to empower these women both economically and socially. This resonates very much with the Female Leadership in Football initiative we launched at World Football Summit a few months back. So I'm very excited to partner with them to offer this premium blend to you. You can order it online at es.juanvaldez.com. Again, that's es.juanvaldez.com. And they actually have a special discount for the World Football Summit podcast listeners. All you need to do is enter the code WFS podcast at checkout. Again, that's WFS in capital letters podcast at checkout. And they deliver to all markets in Europe. Give it a try and let me know what you think. Don't forget to subscribe and read the podcast on your platform of choice and share it with your industry colleagues. And you can also subscribe to our newsletter where every week we send updates, trends, and everything that goes on at our events. You can find the link in the show. Nothing else from my side. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Natalie and Christian. Well, Natalie, Christian, welcome to the World Football Summit podcast. Um, it's been, you know, a, a little bit of time since we've managed to make this happen, but I'm glad we we are seeing this, you know, becoming a reality. Welcome to the show. Thanks, happy to be here. Yeah, thank you, Jaime. Good to be here. Thank you, guys. I think we're going to have a fun conversation about leadership, about, you know, developing a, a career in sports. I mean, you know, something that the audience really values. So, so yeah, but before we get into all the topics that, that I want to cover, I was wondering, uh, and maybe Natalie, we can start with you with, you can briefly just introduce yourself. And and I always like to ask my guests, um, why is it that you do what you do? Why, why are you pursuing a career in sports? Fantastic. Thank you very much. Yeah, I am Natalie, former alumni of the FBA, and now the member services manager at the League Managers Association. People probably don't know what the League Managers Association is. So just very briefly, we are the voice of professional managers in England. So we provide all the services that you can really think of to uh, professional managers and that brings me to my why, which is a fantastic question and something that we always ask our managers and coaches as well. Because if you don't have that why, then where are you going? So my why is I've always wanted to work with people and I've always wanted to look at what's going on off the pitch, not on the ball, what the players, what the managers, what the referees do when they're not playing football or not doing something with football. And that's what I get to do every day is look at people beyond the actual sports and see them as individuals. Great. That's nice. And Christian, what about you? So I'm co-founder and deputy CEO at uh, the Football Business Academy. And uh, we are a global leader in football business education, which I guess most of people will know us for professional master in football business, which has been going on for almost seven years. Uh, but we also do uh, for educational services to different football stakeholders. So whether it be confederations, federations, leagues, or clubs, sometimes they have educational needs as well, uh, whether for their staff or, or uh, members. And so we're always happy to, to, to step in and, uh, and offer our services to accelerate the professionalization of, of the football industry, which is why we started this in the first place. And uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it was, uh, you know, sports uh, all my life. Uh, I studied sports management in my bachelor, uh, together with business administration. So I've always known uh, that I wanted to develop a career in, in this specific industry. And uh, now I've been able to help others realize that dream as well, which has been very uh, gratifying. Yeah, it is. And uh, going back to 
what Natalie was mentioning, I totally relate to that, you know, being able to impact off the field. It was something that I also was looking for. So, so yeah, good to see that I'm not alone on that one. Um, anyway, um, you know, I think it's good for, for the audience to understand really what you guys do in more detail. No? So specifically, Natalie, I want to start with you, which is at the end of the day, what is the role of the LMA, of, of the Leagues Manager Association? And, and why does, you know, why does the football industry need such a governing body? And yeah, just if you could tell us a little bit about that. Absolutely. So, yeah, as I said, the LMA, we are the voice of the managers and coaches in England. Um, so we provide I mean, anything from legal advice to mental health, physical health. And then the bit that I'm mostly involved in is the educational side. So obviously we want the best managers, the best coaches in the world to come to this country and continue building football um, and being the best in the world at it. Um, so what we do is provide the education sides on the pitch and off the pitch so we can get the best managers that we can. We can make the managers that we have perform to the highest levels. So we have qualifications that we, we deliver we have masterclasses, webinars that go on throughout the year um, to provide just the highest quality services that we can. So in terms of the legal side, we do contracts, the mental health side, making sure that their performance is at the top of their game, as well as when they're not on the pitch, not managing that their personal lives are also okay and intact. Um, and it is a membership for life that we offer. So if once you become a manager in the top four men's leagues or the top two women's leagues, you then are here for life. So we look after a lot of managers who aren't actually in work. So that's where the education comes into it. How can we get them back into their next job? How can we get them back into a club? Um, yeah, that's a long summary of what I do. Not bad. I mean, uh, I don't want to imagine how many stakeholders you 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 know you speak uh, with on a daily basis, and, and you're gonna have to tell me a secret on how you manage that. <laughs> oh, I wish I knew the secret. Um, obviously, we have to work really closely. With the other football stakeholders, mainly um, the Premier League, EFL, and the FA. So, with the um, more specific off the pitch things, that's pretty much just us. So, when we deal with the legal side and the mental health side, but the education side is a real crossover between the other stakeholders. We obviously want to make sure that we're delivering relevant information that's in line with what they're delivering, but that we're not stepping on each other's toes as well. And at the end of the day, we've got the same goal. We want the best managers and coaches in the world to come to this country. So we have to work together to provide that whilst also trying to be the best at what we do. And education for that is key, which is why I wanted to have you, Kristen, on the conversation. And, and I was wondering, because you had a, you had a you know, brilliant career in the sports industry. You know, you touched about it many different angles. No? So, so I was curious, what, what was, what's the why behind the FBA? And, and what, what, what was kind of like the, the trigger that you said, I have to do this. I have to be involved with this. Sure, yeah, happy to uh, share that story. It was actually one of my uh, former colleagues, uh, our, our CEO, who, who had that main epiphany, I guess, um, which happened uh, about eight, eight years ago now, uh, after a, a thing called Seaside Gate happened and kind of like rocked the world of football. And, and for us as football fans and as, you know, having worked already for a few years in, in the football industry, we're like, okay, like this, this needs to change. Uh, this is not good. This can you know, damage the reputation of football long-term. So let's try to do our part in, in, in trying to bring about some positive change that will hopefully set up football for, for a better future. And, um, and that's why we turned to education. And, and that's why we said, okay, like, let's, uh, let's create the FBA. Let's create a master that could uh, attract people from other sectors that have different skills, different perspectives on, on how to do things and how to run businesses uh, that could benefit the football industry. And so, so we created this master uh, with that in line. Uh, and I think, you know, uh, it's, it's obviously a long-term vision. It's a long-term plan, uh, but you have to start somewhere, right? And, and I think, you know, so far having more than 250 alumni already working all around the football industry uh, globally, I think, you know, are the seeds of that vision coming to fruition, hopefully further down the line. Um, but that was kind of like the, the main trigger. And, and, and obviously there's still a long way to go, but with great professors, great partners, and of course, great uh, candidates and alumni, uh, I think it's achievable. Definitely. And I'm just thinking, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of what you guys do and, and we'll talk about this later, you know, and the sense of community that you guys bring to the table. Um, but it's just amazing how, uh, just a story. Uh, can be the seed of, of something that's truly amazing, like that, you know, something like you guys have built, no? Um, and in that sense, Natalie, I mean, speaking about stories, um, I think there's also a lot of stories that you can share, I mean, in terms of the impact um, of how you're helping coaches in England and at all levels, pretty much, no? So I don't know if you would be able to maybe highlight one favorite story or one that, you know, uh, yeah, 
that, that you believe has made the most impact on you? Absolutely. I have, um, yeah, really my story for this. It's like, yeah, good, good question. Um, in terms of if anyone needs reminding about what they do, you know, sometimes just one moment you can refer back to throughout your career. And I was very lucky that I got mine on the second day in the job, which is the first time I was really put in front of our members. Very, very daunting experience. Luckily, there weren't too many of them. And one of them was just very open with the group and spoke about an experience they had where they were sat at home alone one night, not in a mentally healthy place at all, didn't know what they were going to do, picked up the phone and called the LMA because they didn't know what else to do. And one of my colleagues put them in touch with a mental health professional who that night gave them the care that they needed and helped them. And this member says now that he doesn't know where he would be without that support. And I think for me, just hearing that on my second day in the job really put into perspective why we're here. You know, you don't get those sorts of calls every day, but when you do, we know how to deal with it. And another story that I hear a lot from our members is if they lose their job, which happens a lot in this in this industry, they'll get millions of phone calls on that first day, that first week, people checking in, making sure they're okay. And after six weeks, the phone just stops ringing. And so we need to make sure that we are those people that pick up the phone after six weeks and make sure they're still okay. So no matter how busy it is, how crazy the industry is, I just keep that in the back of my head all the time, why we're here and why we're doing it. Yeah, at the end of the day, I mean, it goes to show the value of uh, having good relationships with, you know, all the stakeholders, with having a good network, really, just, uh, you know. Um, in that regard, I mean, um, I think one of the things that stands out to me, at least from the FBA, is, you know, that there are three pillars to to their education, no? So it's, it's and Kristen, correct me on this one, but I think it's knowledge, it's experience, and it's network, right? So um, I was wondering, um, and maybe not at the, I'll, I'll ask this question to Kristen, but I'd like your input as well here. Uh, but Kristen, in, in the context of sport, those three pillars, are, there, are they all equally important or would you kind of like highlight one above the rest? I would argue that they're all very important, um, maybe depending on the situation and, and, and the stage of, of someone's life where they're at, maybe there's slight, slight differences. But overall, you know, you remove one of them and, and kind of like becomes a, a lot more difficult, right? If you, you don't have the right knowledge, it'll be more difficult to know what are the benchmarks, what are the best practices, what are the, the, the new trends, right? Uh, if you remove the experience, you know, you might be like thrown in the deep end and you kind of like, you don't have to try and swim and make it out alive. Um, and of course, without the network, everything is, uh, is, is a lot more complicated naturally as well, right? So we really try to focus on, on those three key pillars uh, equally, especially when, when it comes to the professional mastery in football business. Right. Um, but even on the programs that we deliver for, football stakeholders, we realize that a lot of them, even if they know certain things, if they have a specific knowledge, if they have already experienced, if they have a network, there's still room to grow. You know, there's still things that they don't know. There's still people that they haven't met yet. And I think uh, by continuing to focusing on those three pillars, in, in, in the end, the, the participants of the programs that we help deliver uh, reap the benefits. So so I think it's uh, equally important. Yeah, probably. Yeah, at the end of the day, everything is kind of like a puzzle, no? You need you need one to get the most out of each other, right? I mean, I don't know, Natalie, I don't know, you, you've been there and that's why I wanted to to get your opinion on that. So I don't know if you have anything to add there. Yeah, I completely agree with Chris. You need all of them. I think for me, through my experience at the FBA, they came at different times. So networking was a huge reason why I chose the FBA to study at. And even on the first introduction call that we had with Chris, so using that expression, your network is your net worth, which <laughs> we've all heard a few times um, throughout studying. But that for me was really important to kind of figure out where I wanted to be, speaking to people who actually worked in the industry, hearing their stories made me find my path a bit more. And then when I knew where I wanted to be, the experience that I'd gained throughout the year, especially doing the placement, gave me something to refer back to, gave me something to build on. And then now I'm in it. The knowledge has been so helpful, especially with the FBA, the wide range of subjects that you do cover. So now if I do speak to our in-house lawyer, I've got, a, it's a small, but a little bit of understanding of the legal side of it because we covered it on the course. So I don't feel as lost. I feel like I can add to the conversation. So for me, they have been building blocks to kind of build the confidence in the path that I'm on. Nice. And before we move into the next section, I mean, Kristen, I'm a marketer. And one of the things that I notice is, uh, and, and, and I believe in, is the power of a strong community, um, you know, for, for any project really to succeed, no? And, and one of the things that I always think about when I meet you guys at our events is, wow, these guys, they're just amazing at, at how, you know, that sense of community that you've been able to build. Because wherever you go, 
uh, you see FBA students and and they start just they, they they start having conversations like you know they're best of friends. No? So how do you make that happen? I, I need to know the secret if there is one. <laughs> I mean, I guess that the basic ingredients uh, for for that formula are, are quite straightforward if you, if you break it down, right? I think at the end of the day, any community. Um, typically has a common uh, sense of purpose, right? They have a, a similar North Star, let's say, and, and they're all equally passionate about achieving that goal, let's say. Um, so whenever we talk with potential applicants for, for the program, see, we, we, we go through a quite, I would say, intensive process of making sure that we try to attract great people that have good values, that have um, the right intentions, you know, of doing this program, of, of getting into the football industry. Uh, you know, we do, uh, we have an admissions team, which was just an amazing job filtering out, let's say, um, that initial a selection of candidates, but then also we do a two-step interview process in which we really try to get to know the people and, and, and try to see, you know, what, what they stand for, what, what, uh, what their dreams are. And, uh, at the end of the day, you know, how they will represent the FBA once they enter the football industry, which obviously, you know, um, is a self-fulfilling prophecy from that part. Um, but then equally important, I think it's, you know, as soon as they are in the program, you show them every day, every month, every year that you truly care about them doing well and, and being successful and having the right support and guidance that they need in order to navigate this complex industry, right? And I think we do that very well uh, simply by being present by you know, being always available on WhatsApp or email or a phone call, um, both during the master, but also importantly after the master, right? So me personally, for example, I, I will be talking with alumni every day uh, and I try to, you know, make it a point to, to catch up with everyone periodically, you know, every few months at least to just check in and see how they're doing. And, and I think that, you know, within the MVP team as well is something uh, truly unique. And I think this, this makes a, a big difference. Once you have shown that type of attention uh, and care and, and, and interest in someone, they um, they pay it forward, right? So whenever uh, new prospective leads or applicants for the master uh, reach out to them, they know that you know it's their duty, um, and, and they do it with with a lot of uh, joy, I would say, you know, to, to to share their experience, to to reassure them that it's worth doing, that it's uh, you know not a scam, it's not too good to be true, right? So we we sometimes get those as well. Uh, and I think, you know, over time, when, when, when you focus on doing that and you do it consistently, uh, you get this community that it's, it's so powerful. Yeah, that was, that was a great answer. And I hope that anybody listening picks up because I think it could be applicable to any business. At the end of the day, what you, you said is, and just to summarize for those um, that, that are still with us is, first, you have to have a clear purpose on why you're doing things. And then you have a selection process that is aligned to that purpose, but then it's also very thorough. You know, um, but it doesn't stop there. You know, then you offer guidance, you offer support, and more importantly, um, you follow up, right? So you can do that at the end of the day in any sports business out there. So uh, you know, I, I thought it was super interesting. So thank you for that. Um, Absolutely. And and you know, um, one of the um, themes that I think is most relevant in the industry today is everything that has to do with leadership in general and leadership skills, but in particular, um, female leadership in football. Right, I think uh, there's an opportunity and a need uh, because I, I'm of the opinion that you know diversity is good for business at the end of the day, um, and which is why I wanted to bring Natalie to the show. So, given your, I mean, what's your take on this? I mean, what what ha Natalie, what what needs to be true um, to see more women in leadership positions in the industry? Oh, again, I wish I had the full answer to that. I think it's <laughs> it's one of those questions where it's easy to lay down on paper what needs to happen, but it's actually doing it and doing it in an organic way as well. Um, and I think the opportunities are there with places like the FBA. I'm the, the company I work in, the LMA, we've, we're pretty much 50-50 men and women. Our board is more women than men, I think. So I'm lucky that I do work in a football company that is, is predominantly women, which I know is rare, but it shows that it can happen. Uh, and I'm sure there are, are, are others across the world. Um, for me, it's, I think it's that innate thing of that self-belief of, being in the room, feeling like you know what you're talking about and that you deserve to be there. And a word that is, well, the phrase that goes around with a lot of my peers um, working in the industry as women is that imposter syndrome is, do I deserve to be here? Do I know everything I need to know? And one thing that I have learned is that you don't need to know every single football stat to work in football as a leader. Is one thing that I've found quite 
daunting throughout my my life being a football fan is do I know who the top scorer was in 2003 in the Premier League? No, I don't. But I could sit in a room and talk about how we can improve the care for managers in the future, which you know, you don't need to know all those stats to succeed in business. And I think that's something that does put a lot of women off. They think they need to know that side of football, which if you want to become a coach, yes, maybe. But if you want to work in a leadership style, then then not so much. That reminds me of a question that I, um, not a question, a conversation I actually had with Erika Montemore. She works at FIFA. And she was basically saying that it's amazing how much pressure women face to, to be a finished product. Meaning it seems they have to know everything. They have to be the best of the best and they cannot have room to grow. And that's a completely false premise, if you will. I think any leader, whether you're a man or a woman, um, you're going to step into a position you're not going to know and, and you're going to have to grow into the role, right? So so I think that's interesting that you say that. Um, Christine, I don't know if you want to add to that. Um, feel free. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, obviously the, the, the women uh, will probably have better insights into that but kind of like from my experience and from my observations and, and from my conversations with with female uh women f- uh, female football leaders sorry um i think there's there's a few things that can really help one of course is giving them more visibility right um, i think uh, by putting more podcasts blogs articles whatever out there about the amazing women that have been driving football forward both on the men's football side and the women's football side because sometimes also there's people that automatically think that you know women in football uh, means women's football not always the case right um but i think giving them more visibility more more space to 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 share their stories um is, is super beneficial because a it'll inspire many future football uh you know leaders such as Shadat Natalie. Uh, and B, you remove the stigma around, you know, what it means to to, to be a woman in football. I think, you know, maybe Natalie will have uh, better insights from uh, on that than, than me. But, you know, maybe some some women are still to this day looking at football and, and looking how dominated it is by males and, and, and thereby thinking that you don't have a place or that it'll be super tough, right? But the, the reality is that there's a growing uh, movement, I would say, of, of knowing that, you know, women can can be amazing contributors to this industry. Case in point, like all the women that have gone through the FBA program, for example, they're doing amazing jobs uh, in, all, in, in all kinds of football stakeholders. And so I think, uh, you know, we also take that duty to to our heart in terms of showing, uh, you know, who they are, what background they come from, what, what challenges they had to overcome to make their dream a possibility, right? Um, but it all comes down to that is giving them more, more visibility so that they know it's possible. Uh, and then yeah. hopefully, and, and, and the same, I think it's, it's very analogous to, to what happens on the women's football side, right? So I think the fact that more women's football games are mediatized makes it so that little girls, you know, have stars to look up to and, and, and role models to, to, to get inspired by. So I think that the same applies to, uh, female leaders in football. I agree. And you know what, um, I've been having this uh, female leadership in football initiative on the podcast. So we started this at the beginning of 2023 and I couldn't agree more, Kristen. I mean, the amount of um, knowledge, the amount of, uh, you know, lessons that I've learned uh, just from speaking, you know, to, to some amazing women out there is, is just uh, remarkable. Um, and that sounds lovely. I was wondering, I mean, is there any female leadership leader in football that you look up to? There are many, uh, I think, and especially at the moment with the, with um, how much visibility women in football are getting now, so many initiatives that are going on. Um, but like what Chris said, the on the pitch as well, we've got so many great leaders. So the obvious answer that came, that comes to mind is all of the Lionesses that won the Euros. And not only just because it was an amazing sporting achievement, but also the first thing they did when they returned back to England was write a letter to the Prime Minister to get young girls involved in football and so it's so easy in those moments where they could have just taken the glory yes we're the best women's in- uh, team that England have had but they wanted to divert that into building it in the future and passing on the legacy um which is just fantastic I think as as individual leaders um but more kind of close to home and personally um actually you by the one that I came to mind you've had um on this podcast Nicole Allison yeah he was one of our lecturers at the at the FBA um, who was an absolutely amazing lecturer and I've been very lucky to build more of a relationship with her. She's become a mentor for me and I'm listening to the podcast she did uh, for you was, was amazing. And I think we share that value in terms of how why is not only has she been incredibly successful in what she's done, but the reasons that she's doing it. People want to play for Worcester City because it's a nice place to be, not because they're successful, not because they're the best team in the country, but people want, they get looked after, they get cared for, and they get to play football and be successful. So yeah, she's a brilliant role model for me. Oh yeah, she was a great guest. 
to be honest. And and really, um, she was a great example of of the business side of football, but also the social impact of football, right? And and it was just a it was an inspiring conversation for sure. So yeah, um, you know, hi to Natalie if, if you're out there. I mean, to Natalie too, Nicole, if you're listening. Um, anyway, um, and speaking about leadership, I mean, I think at the end of the day, whether you're um, a man or a woman, um, any leader out there needs to have certain skills, right? So, Kristen, I mean, you have uh, seen amazing leaders walk through the FBA. So any patterns that you see in the best leaders out there so you know those listening can learn from them? I mean, there, there's probably uh, many in, in case by case, but um, if I were to highlight some of them, I would say, for example, one one thing that I think in this day and age uh, is very important for, for any leader in football to, to be very aware of is that there's a very delicate balance to, to strike between keeping... Um, I guess that that history of football, you know, that that uh, societal uh, importance, and 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 mixing it with with the business side, right? Which which is inevitable, and and probably on top of that as well, the, the political one. So I think that the leaders that can navigate, I guess, those three influences as well as possible, um, you know, they 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 tend to do really well. Um, if if you focus too much on, on one of those three axes, probably going to get it wrong. I think, um, and I think just in general, uh, you know, any leader that has that. I guess humbleness of, of knowing that you know they're they're always on on a learning journey that there's always things changing that you know they're always should think about okay what is what is the best for the for the for the football community as a whole uh, I think they they can be very successful because at the end of the day you know whether you you're running a club or a federation at the end of the day you're it's not yours right you're a steward of that club you're a steward of the football uh, development in in your country. And, and you, you have to take it as such. Uh, I think it's you know different from from other businesses where you know it's kind of like uh, um, yeah race to be the the only or the the monopolist or whatever. I think in football it, it's competition. You, you need all the stakeholders to do well in order for that competition to be exciting for for the fans and for the players and, and the managers. So um, yeah, I guess we could go on, uh, but I think those those two uh, would probably be uh, the ones that stand out for me. Yeah, those are those are pretty good. And and shifting over to the manager side, Natalie, based on what you've seen over there, is what 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 do the best managers in football have in common? Because I agree that you know being humble, being you know accountable, responsible for what you do, as Kristen was saying, um, is is key. But I don't know if that changes when you speak about managers in football. No, I think it's very relevant, and it's no coincidence that when we run our masterclasses or our webinars, we don't just get football experts in; we get business professionals, other sports, other industries coming in to teach and to learn because it's not just a standalone thing. There's so many skills that you can take from different areas. And the talking about being humble, I think compassion is such a huge thing now that managers have that maybe 20 years ago. If you're thinking back to Sir Alex Ferguson throwing boots at players and the hair dry treatment and everything, you don't hear about that so much anymore. It's definitely a new skill that that managers are having to learn and be compassionate with how players are treated personally but also with training and things like that understanding players as individuals that they can't just be all thrown into the same ring and in terms of just general leadership on and off the pitch is having that vision which it's so difficult for managers because the lifetime of a manager I think the average lifetime for a manager in England now is like less than a year I think it's about nine months so having that vision you know if you go in as a as a leader in the finance industry you have your strategy have time to implement it your step by step in football you may get two months to do it and then you're gone so you have to be able to really convince everyone that you're working with below you and above you what your goal is and how you're going to achieve it. And it's only when that everyone's fully brought in that then you'll get the backing financially and from the fans as well. So you've got to influence so many people to support you as just one individual, which is a real challenge, I think, for managers. But some can definitely do it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you think about it, okay, you're a coach, you might be there for a very limited time, I agree. But if you think about it, the impact that you can leave on any stakeholder, whether players, the staff, fans, it could be, you know, it can last a lifetime. So it's, it's a huge responsibility and something to be aware of, no? Um, interesting. And, and and if we look ahead, um, Chris, maybe we can start with you, but are there any skills that you think that, you know, sports industry, the sports industry leader of the future uh, needs to have? I mean, it's, it's really, if, we, if we look at how we, we try to instill some of that concept in, in our professional master of football business, it's, I would say, the the art of collaboration, right? I think historically, a lot of the issues of, of football uh, have tended to happen because, you know, there's different stakeholders and they may not always 
um, agree on everything or, or maybe even talk to each other uh, for that matter uh, when taking important decisions that at the end of the day affect all stakeholders. So I think that collaborative aspect, that, that skill of, of being able to, to listen, to, to, to think about you know, the other person's reality and, and point of view, um, I think that's going to be the, the biggest game changer in, in trying to ensure that football our industry as a, as a whole um, keeps evolving in, in the best possible way. So I think, uh, yeah, this uh, would stand out for me, uh, at least from a you know, slightly philosophical perspective, but also I think practical, right? You, you want to see that happen. And to some degree, some, some stakeholders have been better at, at it than, than others, I think. Uh, but I think everyone would agree that there's still a long way to go. And especially as, as the game has become more, much more global over the past couple of decades, uh, this is increasingly important, right? Because uh, fans are everywhere. Managers and players can come from everywhere. Um, even the executive, of course, right? So, so I think in, 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 that, in that context, it probably is even more important to do it well um, to ensure that the, the football industry gets right. Mm-hmm. I agree. Natalie, I know uh, in, in your perspective, I mean, anything that you believe is, is important to add here? Yeah, I completely agree with Chris there. Um, working together, I mean, the football industry is still so relatively young, especially with all the recent globalization, everything. It's There's so much learning to happen. And I think alongside the collaboration is as an individual, you have to always be willing to learn and you're never the finished product. Um it's quite cool. I will, I'm quite lucky. I walk past a wall every day that's got a quote from Gareth Southgate that says, never say that you've made it because that's the day that you stop improving and developing. And it's quite nice to walk past that because each time I go in and I'm like, yeah, there's still more to learn. There's always stuff to do. And I think you've got to, as Chris said, that people don't own the FA. People don't own these associations or these stakeholders. They're just there for a temporary time to do their bit and make their mark. And if they go in and think they're going to complete it, then they're just going to stop and there's always room to grow and develop and adapt. Yeah, because, I mean, we always um, have this conversation within the team here at World Football Summit. You know, we're living through a change of era. So you cannot really think that you know everything and you just don't know what's coming our way and we're just going to have to adapt. So keep that you know, learning mindset and just being able to learn how to be uncomfortable with, with everything that's coming, right, at the end of the day yeah. and, and learn to adapt to that, right? Um, and I'm curious, Natalie, how, how, how did the EFBA help you prepare for your role? I mean, honestly, the FBA are the reason I have this role. I wouldn't have heard about it if it wasn't for the FBA. One of the um, staff members sent me through the job descriptions. So yeah, that's the short answer. But then once I heard about the role, um, touching on those pillars that we spoke about earlier, all of those different things helped me prepare. Having the confidence just to apply for it in the first place. And then in the interview, the thing that I spoke about most was drawing from those three months of the placement that I did whilst with the FBA. And then now that I'm in the role, Again, that community, not only just the staff at the FBA, but the people that I met who were on my edition, but then on other editions as well. I know that there's a whole network of people that I can reach out to personally or professionally um, at any point, which there's, I think it is having that specific experience. You know, I can reach out to friends, other professionals, things like that. But having people that have been through that same path and that are on the same journey is so beneficial and gives you that bit of backing when you're entering such a competitive and volatile industry yeah no thank you for that i mean i think uh, it, it's good to see uh, real life examples of somebody who's gone through a you know high caliber sports industry program um the sports management program sorry and then being able to actually take those learnings and apply them into a real job right so, so i think it's a, it's a good lesson there um christian i, I want to shift over to you now that we were speaking before we we're making you know and we're alluding to to trends and to challenges that are coming our way um are there any yeah um any trends or challenges that, you know, you think sports industry leaders need to be you know, particularly aware of? It's a good question. And I think, and I think about it often. Uh, and, and I think the, my answer to that question actually would be that um, probably worth paying attention to the trends happening outside of the industry. I think within the football industry, a lot of people, they, they kind of like tend to be quite stuck in, in, in their bubble uh, for better or worse. You know, it's always about the, the next game on the weekend. And so like sometimes it's difficult, even from a time perspective, to simply zoom out and, and see what's happening around the world. Um, so I think the, the global trends that are happening, you know, from a geopolitical side, from a technology side, um, you know, even from a, from a monetary side, fiscal side, uh, political, everything kind of like, you know, intertwines in, in a very difficult but interesting way and i think it's those changes those trends that will ultimately also you know make the the, the trends in the football industry and i think 
one has to be conscious of that and and take the time to 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 be mindful of you know what what's happening around the world and how that might potentially um, affect the industry. So so I I for one you know I, I I try to make it a habit of you know almost every day you know reading articles or going on X you know forwardly Twitter uh, or listening yeah. to podcasts from from people from other sectors from other background that have a bigger or a closer pulse on some of those developments so that I can kind of like you know put as you said you know the the different pieces of the puzzles together myself somehow to try and anticipate okay like what's going to happen um because of course for us as educators it's important to keep abreast of 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 all that to know if and how and when we should adapt our curriculum our, our programs that we you know push towards aspiring our current football um officials and, and um and i think you know obviously the the, the changes that we've seen in football in recent years, with uh, technology, AI, uh, with multi-club ownership group, with investments, all of that, you know, has kind of like a, a history in, in some of the other sectors that have that, that defined the, the trends of this decade. Now. Yeah, this it's what happens when you're part of an ecosystem, right? And, and I'm a big fan of what you said. You have to be mindful of what's going on out in the world. And then how is that going to applying to the world of sports. And I'm also a big fan of listening to podcasts and, and reading stuff on newsletters that are not directly tied to the sports industry um, and then just take the lessons. And also, I think that's a very valuable advice. And not only in your case, I mean, yes, we're seeing a lot of changes in, in, in the economy, in the world, really. How does an organization like the LMA adapt to that? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, in terms of economically, it's, it's finding... Well, our, our, our main goal is to find ways to deliver the best services that we can. And so economically, on a wider scale, we need to make it efficient, <laughs> which is difficult. You know, the recent um, increase in price and inflation and everything is difficult to keep that same level of, of standards. So it's always coming up with new strategies that we can deliver what we, what we already deliver to the same or higher standard um, with the difficulties that we have. I think... I mean, we're, we're also very lucky here at the LMA in terms of our commercial side. We don't have a t-shirt, the front of a shirt to offer. We don't have a stadium to name, but we do have lots of managers who are willing to make appearances, help us out, um, that we can then work with partners for. So we do try to keep our partners ethically, um, like in line. So we, we're very, um, specific about the partners that we have and make sure that they are there in line with our values. So we've got a lot of charity partners, a lot of, um, health and wellbeing partners as well to make sure that they're all in line. And I think as Chris said, it's keeping on top of trends that are going on. So if there's something, obviously we've got a lot of international managers, say something going on in a country that those managers are from, we keep on top of it. If we're going to publish something or if we're going to put an event on involving our managers just to make sure that it doesn't contradict anything that's going on in the world. So obviously football is just drawn into everything, anything that happens in the world. People want a comment from a manager or a player on their opinion on it. So our thing is to protect the managers, make sure that they feel comfortable if they want to respond to those answers or if they don't, we'll protect them from having to respond to them um, and kind of be the voice of them if there is a situation that needs commenting on. Well, thank you for that. I mean, it's just, again, going back to what we were mentioning at the beginning, I don't know how you managed to handle all these stakeholders and then, you know, let's put into the recipe the amount of changes and, and, and everything that's going on, right? So kudos to you for, for managing all of that. Um, Kristen, in your case, I mean, I guess it's a it's also a big challenge to adapt these trends to the programs that you offer, no? So so I don't know, how, how do you do that? I mean, uh, I guess... Uh, as 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 we do everything, you know, we we try to keep pulse on the game, on the industry as much as possible. We do that by attending, you know, events such as World Football Summit. We do that by talking to a lot of people that are working in the football industry. Uh, we do that by talking, especially of course, with with our partners and to understand their behind doors and, and their needs. Um, of course, with with our candidates and professors, you know, have through every model of every edition, we always send people a feedback form and, and try to, you know, understand how it was for them, what could be improved, what could be changed. And so we, we are very good on, on, on all listening, basically, right? And, and, and then taking those reflections uh, and, and try to figure out, okay, right, what needs to change, what needs to happen next in, in order to make sure that we, you know, stay ahead of the game and, and, and continue to provide value uh, both to our candidates, alumni and, and partners um, so that, you know, our mission can, can continue to, to become a reality. Yes, zooming out from that as well, or I would just say that, um, you know, it's just moments of knowing that we, we don't always have answers, 
when we make mistakes, we will be the first ones to, to admit it and, and try to, to, you know, course correct, so to speak. So I think uh, put together uh, makes us so that we, we try to stay ahead of, um, of the trends or at least, you know, make sure that we, we, we don't like our bike bike too much. Um, but it is, it is challenging, right? Our said, you know, there's always something, whether in football or outside. Um, but I think, you know, if you have that habit of, of talking to people on a regular basis, you, you will have enough information to, to know what to do. I agree. It goes back to what I were mentioning before. You, know, you have to be humble about this. You have to recognize that you're not, you're not going to be a finished product, that you're not going to know everything all the time. I mean, at the end of the day, it's a great summary of what we discussed, no? And, and, and yeah, recognizing that um, as soon as things happen, you're going to have to adapt, really. Sometimes you dislike sports. Sometimes you score the goal. Sometimes you won't. It happens, right? It's just a matter of what we can control is how we react to it, right? So so that's interesting. Um, yeah, guys, this has been a great conversation. I just have a few questions left. Um, and, and, and I want to start really uh, with you, Natalie. I mean, what has been, you know, most rewarding uh, about working in the sports industry? Why, why, what keeps you going? Brilliant question. Um, my, well, I, I guess that brings us back to my why is, is working with people. My one goal starting working in the industry was to help people. And I get to do that every single day, which is infinitely rewarding. And the part, so we focus a lot on mental health as well, as I mentioned, which is such a huge part now um, across the world in football, but especially in, in England, there's such focus on the health of athletes and, and people working in sports. So it's great that I'm kind of riding that wave and being able to follow that as it's going on and see how I can contribute to that. And also, it's just a great industry to work in. It's really great. I get to meet some really fantastic people, hear some really amazing stories. There's so much variety. And what I do, I, don't, I haven't had two days that are the same. And I think you'll be hard-pressed to find someone working in the industry that has had two days the same because um, there's just so much potential and so much growth that you can have in, in the whole industry. I think uh, Nicole would be proud, Natalie. Because you were talking about the social side of it and also the business side of it, I mean, to trying to adapt. So, yeah. There we go. I've been well thought. Kristen, what about you? What keeps you going? I mean, it's um, it's, a very, it's a question that I oftentimes think about, of course, myself as well. And um, because naturally, you know, it's with any industry, I guess, in football as well, there's still issues, there's still cases of corruption or bad management. Um, and obviously, that is never uh, nice, especially if, if you're a fan of. Of, of the product of the game, but when it gets mixed up with with the positivity of, of what the game can decide, it's uh, yeah, I think that a little bit. What keeps me going is uh, I try to every every six months because we graduate a new cohort of the FPS master. Um, and I see the smiles, I see the creation, I see the potential of, of the people that we graduate. I would say that is my main keeps me going. I mean, results with people in the industry, of course. They, they always have been black or white, but seeing, you know, so many talented um, people with, with great values, a great after being in the industry, going, keeps reminding me of, you know, why we started the FD in the first place. And, uh, and of course, again, as I said in the beginning of, of this podcast, it's going to be a long-term uh, thing, right? It's probably going to be a generational thing, but, uh, but we have to start somewhere. And, and I think, you know, we're, we're on a, on a good track. So, so that's what we've been going. There are people like Natalie and, and, and many like her uh, that have passed through the FDA and that will through the FDA in the upcoming years. You know, seeing what, what they can uniquely provide to the football industry to hopefully over time uh, make it so that people can really be proud of sporting football and, and giving their money to the football industry, right? Um, so so I, would, I, would, I would wrap it up with, with that. Yeah, I like that. Can I, sorry, can I jump in and add to that very quickly? Sorry, I just want to say that that answer is... So good because one thing, just talking about the trends and challenges is that people are expecting results now when it comes to reaching numbers, reaching uh, quotas, things like that. People are expecting it to happen now. And one thing that needs to kind of be realized is it's not that it can be generational, but it's that upward slope that you're looking for, which in the last 10 years or so has been happening in football. And I, I like that that was Chris's answer because I think that's, yeah, it's really important to kind of keep that in mind. Yeah. I mean, people are kind of like always looking for the hack. I'm going to get, you know, looking for the shortcut, right? Um, I heard that this morning, speaking about podcasts that are not relating to the industry, Chris, and I heard that this morning on the Farnham Street podcast, and they were talking about precisely this, um, you know, how at the end of the day, you have to embrace the long game on one hand. But also, you have to, I mean, I think we're in a very interesting um, era where we're seeing the football industry become more professional. And, and hopefully, we're able to build a, an industry that we're more proud of. 
and and this actually ties well with the question that I wanted to ask you both because um, in September uh, we launched a rebrand at World Football Summit. More or less on the same dates when you guys launched your own rebrand, Christian, which looks pretty good, I must say, um, which is nice to see. And and basically the essence of that rebrand was kind of like, you know, we need an industry that commits to, to excellence, to innovation, you know, that embraces sustainability across its three pillars, you know, so economic, social, environmental. If I were to ask you to define very briefly in one, two sentences, nothing too long, um, how... How would you define the football you want or the football you need? Uh, and Natalie, I guess we can start with you. That's a difficult question. There's, again, just in two sentences. I would say the football industry or just football that I would want, again, focus on the social side for me is just a place where anybody, absolutely anybody can feel safe to interact with the sport, how, however makes them happy. And then there's not one way to engage with football. So as long as that's happening, I'm happy. I like that. Football has, I mean, I've, I've, sp- I've, I've spoken about that with other leaders on, on the podcast and everybody says it, you know, football, football is for all. It's a public good. I spoke about with Kriti Shetty from Redford, right? So I, I like that. Kristen, how about you? Yeah. Uh, as you said, the, the rebranding uh, kind of happened on, on the same month, I think. Um, and for, for us, yeah, I, I guess, you know, the whole reason why we started the FBA was because, you know, we, we wanted uh, the a different football industry, I guess. Um, so, um, you know, our motto being let's build the future of football together. Uh, I think that last word uh, is probably the the crux of everything, right? Like making sure that everybody in football rows together in, in the same direction. I think historically uh, it hasn't always been the case. Um, so, so yeah, going back to that that comment that I made about the collaboration, right? I think that that would be the, the football that I want to see uh, because I know that with, the great potential that football has and, and the great power that football has in society. Arguably, you know, much stronger than any other organization or religion or, or even music or film, whatever. It is really the, the global unifying factor, you could argue, that has, you know, this 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 vast potential and this vast uh, power, which probably is also why historically, you know, the wrong type of people have, have uh, been attracted by it. Uh, but yeah, don't want to, Go into philosophical detail here, but yeah, the football that I want is is one where you know together with good people, we we make it so that the next generation of of uh, boys and girls will still watch it, play it, and and follow it. I'm completely aligned with your view, Christian. I think we need a football that we're proud to champ it, and we have to build it together at the end of the day, right? So couldn't agree more. Um, just for fun, Natalie, we can start with you. Which manager in history? Do you think would have been a great teacher at the FBA? Another great question. Another very difficult question. I've been very lucky that I've been able to hear a lot of managers speak and present and teach as well. So I've, I've had some interesting interactions and there's a long, long list. Um, in terms of just pure entertainment and hearing a story, Jose Mourinho would be top of the list for me just because I think it'd be very entertaining, maybe as a one-off, one-off lecturer. Take notes, Chris, for the next edition of the FBA. Um, I think that... <laughs> In terms of actually learning um, for football business and football management, Arsene Wenger has got to be top for me, um, which is difficult to say as a not Arsenal fan. But he ran that club as a business, which I've more recently is starting to happen. But when he was doing it, it wasn't quite so much at the same time when Chelsea was not being run as a business, Arsenal was. And being able to pay off a stadium as they did while staying competitive, I, I don't know how he did it. And I'd, I'd love to know that. So I'd like to listen to him talk. Christian, you have work to do. <laughs> yeah, no, we can we can definitely explore uh, those opportunities and, and, and to be frank, uh, I don't I don't know why we haven't yet, but uh, <laughs> we'll definitely do our best to bring in a manager on, on the next edition uh, and maybe uh, Natalie can, can help. Um, from my perspective, the the manager that I think uh, would have been interest or would be interesting is uh, maybe Carlo Ancelotti, and mm-hmm. the reason why I pick him is because uh, many years ago now, I think. Yeah, six, seven, eight years ago, I read his book called Quiet Leadership, and that resonated quite a lot yeah. with me. Uh, and I think, you know, whatever he has been through as, uh, you know, a player and, and, and a manager of so many successful teams, um, and, and, and the, the lesson of that, you know, to share with the world through his book, I think those those could be very valuable um, for any aspiring or current uh, football executive. So I'd probably try and, and reach out to him if I could. He, I don't know, another podcast, the John Obi McHale podcast, where he had um, John Terry talking about some experiences with Carlo Ancelotti. And again, amazing people person, not just 
in terms yeah. of on the pitch stuff. But I think that is such a huge part of his success. So it'd be very interesting to to listen to. Yeah. I usually don't give my opinion on these things, but I want to weigh in. And and you know, someone I was thinking about is is Xavi Alonso. Um, now that he's managing at Leverkusen, and you know why? Because he played for Mourinho, he played for Ancelotti, he's played for Guardiola. I mean, he's played for for he's won a World Cup. I mean, at the end of the day, it would be interesting to see. I mean, obviously, he's, I think he's going to be a great manager of his own. He's going to have an awesome career. But it's also interesting to see what have you learned from all these guys, all these top talents no, that you guys are mentioning. So, so I mean, one, yeah, well, good answers on on your end. I mean, um, and um. Another thing that also stands out, I mean, and guys, we're just uh, one one last question from my end. I mean, you're very keen on traveling to different in-person events, different conferences, you know, um, and and obviously network being one of your pillars. But I want you to help the audience understand why these events are important. What value do they bring to the table? Um, Kristen, if you want, we can start with you and then we can just go to Natalie. Sure. I mean, I actually started my career, um, my football career in Berlin. One of your competitors that's, that's for the yeah, and so I've been you know very very used to going to these types of events. Uh, although even before that, when I was still a student uh, doing my bachelor, um, I was already volunteering for many uh, of the sports business conferences that I um, that I played. You know, so actually, that's also how I got my first uh, break. Um, and so for me, you know, ever ever since, it's been very clear to me that these events uh, have a lot of value. A because obviously you can learn. You can listen into the conferences, know who is doing what, what trends are, et cetera. Uh, but B, at the end of the day, it all comes down to the people, right? And I think, you know, no one would be doing this um, just for the paycheck, so to speak, right? So at the end of the day, you know, because we're all, or most of us at least, I'm a fan of the of the sports, um, we we can always, um, yeah, come back to that shared passion again that I mentioned earlier, which I think, you know, in these types of events, you, you kind of like have uh, two birds with one stone, right? Because one, you, you know, you take care of your business, whatever that may be. Uh, but B, you just share more anecdotes about, about football, about the games that you've uh, attended or about the projects that you're working on. So um, so whenever I get the opportunity to go to these types of events, uh, I try to go it. Um, I don't know when, when this podcast will air, but I'm, I'm planning to go to, to Jeddah in a couple of weeks uh, for the World Football Summit there, uh, which is, again, I think a, a great step in, into that direction of Again, building the, the future of football together, you know, Saudi Arabia, for better or worse, you know, is going to be a major player in this ecosystem. And I think um, people have to give them the benefit of the doubt to share their vision, to share how they're trying to improve a lot of things, uh, you know, in, in their society and in, in their football industry. And so uh, I think, you know, coming back to the purpose of travel in general, right? It, you know, the, the more you travel, the, the more you understand that people are alike and have similar and passion, similar challenges, and and I think when when you are at these types of events, you really get the, the best out of people because you you can really connect uh, on a deeper level, and that's why as well we 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 made it our intention uh, from the very beginning of the FBA to make sure that we could provide this opportunity to our candidates as well and instill that um, that habit, I guess, in in them as well to to make sure that they keep going to these types of events so that they can benefit uh, from from the networking and learning opportunities um, as they develop their careers. Whether you like it or not, at the end of the day, there's been a cultural shift and a business shift in the football industry. And I'm kind of of the same belief. I mean, at the end of the day, you have to really go to these places just to really understand what's happening. I mean, not watch from the sideline, just go in there and talk to the people and see what's happening. And, and you know, just, just it, it is the way to really know where the industry is going. Um, so couldn't agree more. Natalie, in your case, I don't know, I don't know what, you know, what value have you found in going to these type of events and, you know, through your experience at the FBA or other events you've been in. Yeah, following on from that, talking about going to Jeddah, I was at, I went to World Football Summit last year, 2022, just before the Qatar World Cup. And just speaking to people there, I learned so much about it. Obviously, I'd been reading newspapers, been seeing social media about all the noise that was going on around the World Cup. But being in that room, getting such a wide range of professional opinions on it was, was really interesting. So that, yeah, follows on from what you were saying with the, the new culture and the change. Um, yeah, my first um kind of event like this that I went to was with the FBA and I was honestly a rabbit in headlights I had no idea I mean that the FBA did prepare us they helped us which um I would have been a lot worse but because I didn't really have that experience to build on I didn't feel like I had anything to offer to people so I was like who do I talk to how do I like what do I say um and then watching the talks that I didn't have anything to build on so I was watching it being like oh this is really interesting but what can I do with it so all the subsequent ones after that, after I'd finished the FBA 
and working in the industry, I've I've found much more beneficial because I feel like I have something to offer and I can build on what I've already got. And just a short anecdote in terms of the value of these sorts of things. The last one that I went to, I reached out to someone via the app, had a chat with them and ended up getting a job offer off the back of it, um, just completely by coincidence. So I didn't take the job, but I think that's just evidence of how much personal development and how many opportunities there are at these events. It's um, yeah. Yeah, really fantastic thing to be part of. Yeah, as Kristen was saying, it's it's good for business, good for a career. I mean, in, in just a matter of days, it's just amazing how you can advance and accelerate conversations, you know? It's just um, it's awesome. Natalie, Kristen, this has been a great conversation. Um, great fun. I want to thank you for it. Uh, I don't know if you want to share any last words with the audience where they can learn more about, about you, the work you do. I mean, the floor is yours. Natalie, we can start with you if you want. Yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, best way to, if you want to speak to me, LinkedIn, Natalie M. So Marie Bowles. Um, yeah, feel free to drop me a message if you want to learn more um, Yeah, about the LMA, about the FBA. I'm always happy to provide advice and, and um, yeah, anything about the FBA. So Chris, I'm expecting my commission at some point because I've already helped quite a few people. But <laughs> yeah, so we're always happy to, to speak to anybody on that. Thank you, Natalie. On that, I'll not know that. Um... I was reminded by another FBA alumni uh, recently. He, he basically, you know, he, he did great during the master and, and he's starting uh, a job next in Kume. Um, But he, he lives by this mantra of sending the elevator back down. Right? I think this is, you know, a lot of what we're doing and what hopefully our, our alumni are internalizing as well, which, you know, uh, we spoke about before. Um, but yeah, definitely for, for your listeners, which I'm guessing is a mix of uh, aspiring and current football industry professionals, I would uh, direct them to, to Natalie or any number of our uh, alumni or candidates just to say hi and, and, and ask them about their experience. Um, it's not for everyone, right? Uh, every course, every program has a different value proposition and we, we, we just try to you know, provide the one that we think is, uh, is applicable to, to many. Um, and then for the, the football industry stakeholders that are listening to this, we, we have been working with more than 75 partners, you know, from federations, clubs, leagues, all the way down to agencies, NGOs, uh, startups, you name it. So if anyone has an interest in, uh, in collaborating with us and, uh, and attracting amazing talent, Natalie, um, and, and many others, then definitely feel free to reach out to us. Uh, I'm also on LinkedIn. If, if you do connect with me on there, I always appreciate personalized message so that I know uh, where you're coming from. Uh, and otherwise, you know, people can always uh, read more about the FBA on our, on our website, the-fba.com, which also has links to our different social media channels. So always happy to have a chat. Um, as, as our slogan is, as I mentioned before, let's build a future football together. So I think this encapsulates what we're all about. So happy to, to chat. It's a good way to end. Let's build a football, football together, no? Um, it's the theme of the conversation. Thank you both. It's been great. Um, hopefully, you know, we'll bring you back uh, someday in the future. You know, Natalie, you can help us understand how your role is evolving at the LMA. Christian, I mean, new trends, new leadership skills, new. Uh, I hope you invite me to the session where either Mourinho, Wenger, or Ancelotti can give out at the, at the FBA. I'll be looking forward to that invitation. <laughs> and uh, definitely looking forward to catching up in Jeddah in, in just a few weeks. Okay. That was like a plan. I mean, thank you so much for, for the opportunity. And uh, yeah, see you soon. Thank you both. Yeah, thank you so much, Faith. Right. And there you have them. Natalie and Christian, that was a great conversation. I'm sure um, you guys had fun. I'm sure I did. I hope you learned something new, um, especially, you know, from Natalie's role at the LMA, what it takes to run a high caliber sports business program, like, uh, you know, the one that Christian is, is carrying out. Anyway, some key takeaways that I want to share with you. First, um, keep in mind that framework that uh, Christian shared before about, you know, um, how they make things happen at the uh, FBA. So have a clear purpose. And then when you select the team members, um, make sure that that selection process is aligned and that you're very, very thorough on the people that you choose um, for your team. Uh, but then also offer guidance and support and be present. Follow up with them even after, you know, they end up leaving, which in some cases, unfortunately, they will. But follow up, you know. Then in terms of leadership, I mean, some Keywords there that uh, are good to remember, you know, being humble, being accountable, um, having compassion, empathy, and having a clear vision, you know, be clear on your why. Going back to that conversation we had on the podcast with Nicole, you know, she had a very clear sense of purpose. And, and I think it's it's one of the key traits of uh, the best leaders out there. No? So keep that in mind. And and finally, the football industry they want. I mean, it's just so aligned to what we've discussed on the podcast uh, to this point. Um, football is a public good. 
Uh, but more importantly, as Christian, you know, said over and over again, and I couldn't agree more, we need a bit of football. Um, and for that to happen, we need to build it together. And this, this is a, you know, a very rich ecosystem and it needs that we all collaborate with each other to actually, uh, you know, help it reach the, the levels that we all here believe it deserves. Nothing else from my side. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If there's anything else that stood out to you, feel free to share it on social media. And of course, uh, don't forget to uh, subscribe and read the podcast on your platform of choice. Um, share it. You know, it helps us a lot when you do. So feel free to share with uh, anybody that you believe will get value out of this conversation. And, and, and nothing else from my side, really. Um, I hope you learned something new again and, and feel free to reach out and have a great rest of your day. And uh, hopefully we'll see you next time.